All right, glad you're here tonight, and uh, let me just share a couple of thoughts with you as we get back into this. We, uh, a few weeks ago, looked at uh, the introductory message to, uh, turn me down a little bit, too much echo on me, um, on the, uh, what we call the Word of Faith teachings, and uh, we're, co- we're going to continue on those. I hope you picked up an outline. Also, there are some quotes, a page of quotes back there I hope you picked up. We'll be looking at, and... Uh, you remember last fall we talked about uh, the non-Christian religious groups. We looked at their belief system and what they taught and what they led their people to believe. Now, the was to look at the church and to look at some of the teachings that has found its way even within the body of Christ. Um, tonight we're going to look at the foundational thing when it comes to the faith, faith movement. But, it, you know, it's kind of interesting. Their foundation is our foundation, at least in terminology. We would certainly say that, that everything in our Christian life is built upon faith. And they would say the same thing. So, uh, the, I guess the uh, sort of the hidden message there for a lot of people is they hear this and say, well, they're built on faith and we're built on faith. And, and if you remember when we talked about the non, non-Christian uh, belief system, they also were built on faith. So it's not just a matter of faith, it's a matter of your definition of faith, it's also a matter of your direction of faith. So we'll talk about that in just a little bit. So, but take your Bible and turn to uh, uh, Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 1. And while you're turning there, also on your outline, it, it, under the first one where it says Hebrews 1.1, 1, 1, that should be Hebrews 11.1. 1. Uh, so you might want to change that on your, on your outline also so you have the proper reference there. Here's what is recorded for us in the book of Hebrews. It says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. Go down to verse 6 where he will tell us how important faith is in the life of a believer. It says, But without faith, what's it say? That's a pretty strong statement, isn't it? So you and I would agree that faith is that foundational thing in our life. Without faith, it is impossible to please Him. And the Him there is God. For he who comes to God must believe what first? That He is. Okay, remember, the writer of Psalms says, It's a fool who says in his heart there is no God. So, understanding what faith is, first of all, it's the belief in God. God is, and it goes on to say, And that He is the rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. That means this. That means that every, in biblical faith, everything, everything comes from God. He is the source of everything in the life of a, of a child of God. We have nothing that does not come from Him. Our very existence comes from Him. Life itself comes from Him. You need to remember that because, because faith is that, uh, is that response to God. As God works in our life, and you're going to hear some things that, that are going to be cool, where faith has been turned into something. So let's look at that. What has faith been turned into? Uh, the title of my message tonight is Faith and Faith. Now, faith and faith, just let me just break this down very quickly for you. Faith and faith is idolatry. If you say faith in, fill in the blank, and in that blank is anything but God... It's idolatry. Everybody got that? What God has called us to is a faith in Him. 
Any other thing that replaces God, no matter how good, now how noble it is, how religious sounding it is, is idolatry. So faith in faith is idolatry. But when you come to the word of faith teachers, that's exactly what they teach. That's the essence of what they teach. Is that you as a believer need to have faith in your faith. And they even, we'll see this in a moment, they even go so far as to say that God is restricted, limited, and dependent upon his own faith. My, my mind runs. I say, who does God have faith in? And you'll see why they teach that here in just a moment. Now, let me ask you a couple questions. How many of you ever heard of Norman Vincent Peale? Oh, y'all know that name, don't you? How many of you ever heard of Robert Schuller? Okay. How many of you have ever heard of the, let's just say, the, the phrase that describes their approach to theology? Norman Vincent Peale. What, what does he talk about? The power of what? Boy, y'all read too much. Positive thinking. Okay. Yeah, you are. No, I'm just kidding. All right. You're going to get me in trouble. Don't say stuff like that. Because stuff just comes out. Okay? Okay. Robert Schuller. Anybody know what his little thing is? It's not positive thinking. It is. Anybody have an idea? Anybody ever read, what's that, Guidepost? That's his magazine. Oh, no, that's Vincent Peale's magazine. Excuse me. Uh, huh? Well, he might use terms like that, but there, there's a little phrase. Remember, Norman Vincent Peale was the power of positive thinking. Robert Schuller, who is the is founder of the Crystal Cathedral, his, his term was possibility thinking. Now, there's a problem with both of these things. Well, there's nothing wrong with positive thinking. Of course, there's nothing wrong with positive thinking. There's nothing wrong with possibility thinking. Except if you turn them into some sort of metaphysical or magical means to get what you want. One of the writers in the faith movement wrote this book, and we'll, we'll be quoting him a little bit. He, Write your own ticket with God. Write your own ticket with God. In other words, if you use the force of faith properly, you can get God to do whatever you want God to do. Because not only are you required to submit yourself to the laws, the, quote, the laws of faith, but God also must submit to the laws of faith. So if you use those laws of faith, even to God, God has to respond to you. Now here's, here's what I want to get. Personally, I'm of a generation that, that caught the end of Vincent Peale's ministry. But as I read his ministry, it bothered me to no end. This po- positive thinking thing really bothered me. Because the approach again was, you know, if you think positively, positive things are going to happen to you. Here's what you need to know. Vincent Peale and Schuller are mild compared to the modern-day Word of Faith movement. Word of Faith theology is, is Vincent Peale and Robert Schuller on steroids. They have taken it to the next level. And they have, they have established a cultic movement that relies more upon man and what man can do than upon God himself. That's a strong statement. But it's important that you know that because even many of our Baptist people have no problem chasing these guys down. They'll come into town, they'll run over to the Coliseum, listen to them in the Coliseum. They can't wait to get on TV and watch some of them on TV and the broadcasts that they have on TV. They must be doing something right, Pastor. One of them has 16,000 people in every service that he has. So 
something in our mind is just a little bit goofy. We start, they must be some, doing something right because of the, the size of their crowd. You know, very rarely is a majority right when it comes to truth. Mostly the majority will go after what is the easiest for them to obtain and what is the most profitable for themselves. You know what Jesus said? When Jesus talked about in John chapter 6 what it meant to follow him, what happened to the majority that was following him? They left him. They said these things are too hard. When Jesus said, if you're going to follow me, you must deny yourself, take up your cross daily, and follow after me. They said, no, no, that's not what we're about. We like the miracles that you do. We like the feeding of the 5,000. We like to see the dead raised, and we like to see the sick healed and stuff. And we get a, we get a charge out of that. By the time you get to the end of Jesus' earthly ministry, they're still saying, just show us a sign. For three years, he showed them every miracle that, I mean, including raising the dead. And what do they say to him? If you'll just show us a sign, then we'll believe. And Jesus' response was, it is a wicked and a sinful generation that seek after a sign. And he says, I will not show you another sign. The only sign you'll ever see from me now is the sign of Jonah. What was that? What's the sign of Jonah? It's a resurrection from the dead. As Jonah was in the belly of the well, uh, of, the, of the fish for three days and three nights, so the Son of Man will be in the earth for three days and three nights, and then he will rise from the dead. That will be the sign. So, faith. What's wrong? What could possibly be wrong with faith? Well, biblical faith, there's nothing wrong with it. But when you redefine what faith is to suit your own selfish purposes and your own carnality, then you have actually created a new religious system that knows nothing whatsoever to do with biblical Christianity. Believe me, man is innately religious. Man wants religion. And man will always seek to, to either discover or to, to uh, invent a religion that meets his own carnality rather than be brought to a place of brokenness before God and an acknowledgement of sin, an acknowledgement that we cannot do anything without God. Let's, let, let's look at some of the, the teachings of faith. The first one that, that I would like you to do, and you'll, you'll need your little outline, but you also need your, your quotes right here. The first thing uh, that, that we'll look at, and remember, this is the foundation. What do they mean when they say faith? What could be wrong with a group that's called the Word of Faith Movement? Okay? Well, the first thing that they teach is that faith is a force. Faith itself is a force. Now they'll use Hebrews 11.1 1 that I read to you just a moment ago. And what's it say? It says, and faith is the substance of things hoped for. Now, when, we, when they read that word substance, they say, don't you see that faith is the substance. It is, it, it is that, that ingredient that you need in order to Literally, write your own ticket with God. That word substance from the Greek is better translated evidence. And faith is the evidence of things hoped for. Hoped for from who? Hoped for from the one you put your faith in. You don't put your faith in faith hoping it does something for you. Your faith itself is what is directed toward the one that you trust. And it is the one that you trust that provides the things that you need. Again, Hebrews 11.6, where he says, 
that God is and He is the provider of everything that we need or the rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. Right? Not faith. Faith is not the rewarder of those who seek faith. Faith is the substance or faith is the evidence that we have put our trust in God. And when we trust God, God is the rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. But to the word faith teachers, faith has become a fourth force in and, of, in and of itself. Well, look at the first quote that I give you. Here's what it said. Words are containers of power. So the words themselves, here's, that's what he would say, substance. The substance of your word is that they are powerful. Faith, words are the containers of power. They carry creative or destructive power, positive or negative power. We so, and, and so we need to be speaking right things over our life and about our futures if we expect to have good things happen. But, because what you say today is what you will probably end up having tomorrow. That's Joyce Meyer. What is she saying? Again, what so many of the, of the word faith teachers say, that words in and of themselves contain power. And they are so powerful, by the way, if you want a term for this, you write this down, it's metaphysics. Sometimes we'll say of the word faith people, they're name it, claim it. Okay? So the point is, if you say something positive, something positive must result in your life. But the same is true if you say something negative. If you say something negative, then something negative will happen in your life. Some of their sermons you ought to hear. You ought to, don't ever say that scared me to death because you're speaking death into your life. That, that, or that show made me sick to my stomach. What? Because you're speaking sickness into your life. Don't ever say, you know, don't use those. They believe so much. This is so much witchcraft is what I want you to see. That the words that you speak are containers of power. And when you speak those words, you release that power into your life, whether it's positive or it's a negative. That's why I say there's a positive and possibility thinking on steroids. Words are containers of power. It is the force of faith released to the words that you use that determine what your life is going to be like. Remember when we went to the Middle Eastern cults and we used the term karma and different things like that? It really sounds a lot like that. Certainly is a New Age approach that words basically, here it is, that words basically create your reality. So you speak into your life what you want. So what do you learn as good Christians? You learn to speak what they would say are faith-filled words. Because if you speak faith-filled words, you are releasing the force of faith in your life. That, if that sounds like Christianity to you, you miss Christianity altogether. It should sound something like casting a spell. Conjuring up things. It should sound something like manipulation. Because you are controlling your own destiny by speaking those words. Again, that title of that book, Write Your Own Ticket with God. That's exactly what he means in that. By your own words, you write your own ticket with God. You determine your destiny by the words that you release out of your mouth. Because again, words are containers of power. And faith is released in your words, and it changes the world that you live in. So, we go on. Here's, here's what Frederick Casey Price says. He says, if you got one dollar faith, 
and you ask for a $10,000 item, it ain't going to work. Now, by the way, don't correct my English. I'm quoting. Not that I wouldn't use these same terms. You know me well enough to know I probably would. But when it's not my fault, don't blame me, okay? So, listen what I said. If you got $1 faith and you ask for a $10,000 item, it ain't going to work. It won't work. Jesus said, according to your faith, not according to God's will for you, it is it in his own good time, if it's according to his will, if he can work it into his busy schedule, he said, according to your faith, be it unto you. It's such a warping, again, of what faith is. Can you imagine that this preacher actually attacks trusting God for things? Look at what he says here. It's not according to God's will. It's not according to God's timing. It's not according to God's desire for your life. It is according to the amount of faith that you have. Because again, remember, the teaching is that you are to have faith in your faith. And when you release that faith by the words that you speak, you demonstrate how much faith you have in your own faith, you release those words and you release whatever you have spoken into your life. And really, God has no no say in it. It's incredible some of the warping that you might hear. So we're going to see in a few minutes that they really, they really don't like Job. But they really don't like Jesus either. That's an incredible statement, isn't it? But they really think Jesus is wrong to say, if it be your will, in the garden. Matter of fact, some of them actually change his prayer as they read the scripture. And they want to say, they want to say, and the Greek says, be careful, I mean, I might say that every once in a while, but be careful, especially people who have never studied Greek who say the Greek says this. And I'm going to just tell you, if you look at the pedigree, if you look at the pedigree of most of these guys, they have no theological training except into the schools of the same theological approach that they're, that they're putting out to people. And it's clear that they continue. You'll see this over the next few weeks. They continually warp what the Word says. Just like I said when I talked about substance. The substance doesn't mean it's, it has an essence of substance. It means it's the evidence of a life that is put... Put his trust in God. All right. So, we're going to build on this. You've got to get this one step at a time. The force of faith. Everybody get that. You've got to believe that words are the containers of power. When you release those words, you release that power into your life. The kind of words that you use demonstrate the kind of faith that you have and whether or not what will come into your life will be good or whether it will be bad. A thought may be running through your mind right now, and it should be. This sounds like the occult. And it sounds like the occult, church, because it is the occult. There's no biblical Christianity being displayed here at all. This is so dangerous. And yet people, as I said even this morning, have become so lacking in discernment that they listen to these people. I've had people get mad at me. I've had more people get mad at me because of the series I'm telling you, teaching you right now or making statements about some of these people that are right now than anything else in my ministry. I've had people say wonderful things at me, quote, wonderful things at the back door going out. I'll never come here again. Benny Hinn is my hero. Well, sorry. Why shouldn't, why shouldn't the truth be your hero? If Benny Hinn speaks the truth, then God bless Benny Hinn. I mean, people get mad at me because of my statements on Joel Osteen. Joel Osteen is a heretic. Sorry. 
Joyce Meyer, some of you ladies think she hung the moon. She's terrible. She is terrible. Now, she may have some, I have one lady say, well, she has some very practical applications for life. Okay. If you want to get there. But how do you get past the foundational truths that she said that are not based in Scripture? Including, which you'll see in, in a few weeks, that she believes that Jesus didn't suffer on the cross. That wasn't the end of suffering, but he was dragged into hell, and he suffered in hell, and that Jesus was actually born again in hell. How can you get more heretical than that? Time for the church to wake up. I, I like what the guy said in our, in our lesson tonight. We're so caught up with all this kind of garbage being taught to our people that the, 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 the foundational truth of the gospel is, is not being taught. And so our people are not equipped to be disciples of Jesus Christ and share the gospel with people. The force of faith. Words contain power. You release those power when you speak those words. And you make your own destiny by the words you release, either good or bad. All right, let's go on to the next thing. The formula of faith. Faith is the substance in their theology, but words are the method to release this faith into our life. And it's done according to a specific formula. And when it's used properly, now this is incredible, God is required to respond. Now let me ask you this. In biblical faith, who is always sovereign? If you say anybody but God, we're gonna, we have to stop and go back. <laughs> In biblical faith, who is always sovereign? God is always sovereign. Right? Which means, let me just break down sovereignty to you. It means that God doesn't answer to nobody. Bad English, but that's the truth. Or anybody. Okay? God doesn't answer to anybody. If you are genuinely sovereign, you don't have to, you don't have to answer to anybody. You're not responsible to anybody. You know, somebody, we, we forget that God's not responsible to me. God's not responsible to you. God doesn't answer to, again, the book of Job, what's, what's, when Job wants God to answer to him, what does God say? Well, Job, where were you when all this began? God is sovereign. What I just read to you right here does not make God the sovereign, but makes man the sovereign. But the man is only sovereign in how and when he uses the proper formula of faith to get God to do what he wants him to do. Now, one of the leaders in this, uh, this faith movement, a man by the name of Kenneth Hagin, he pretty much says the same I'm going to tell you, what I'm about to tell you, you can probably find in every one of these people's writings. I just chose him because he's one of, the, one of the beginners of this. But all of them teach this, this formula, in one form or another. It's pretty close to the same thing. Now, how are human beings, how do we approach life? Do we not approach life wanting someone to tell us how we can do this, this, and this, and get what we need? Don't believe me? Go to any Christian bookstore. The majority of the books will be how-to books. Not books on understanding doctrine or theology, but how-to books. Right? I always want to tell people, the best how-to book has been written a long time ago. 
If we knew what this book said and applied what this book said, we wouldn't need to go find how-to books. Now, I'm not saying that every how-to book is evil or bad. I'm just saying it's the way we are. We want some, you know, that's why we want our sermons too. We want sermons where they teach us one, two, three things. Pastor, tell me one thing I can do, next thing I can do, next thing I can do, I'll be all right. So we approach ministry. Tell us what we can do here, do here, do here to be a successful church. And sometimes those answers are not there. Except, trust God, listen to God, wait upon God, and follow God. Okay? Let's, let's, let me break this down to what Hagen says, because again, remember this, it is a specific formula. When used properly, God is, this is not, this is not a small thing, required to respond. Here's step one. Say it. Well, that goes with the first thing I said to you, wasn't it? That words are a container of power. You've got to say it. So when you say it, positive or negative, it's up to the individual. You're determining your own destiny. It's up to you. Whatever you say. According to what the individual says, they shall receive. Really? Have you ever said anything, just believed in it with everything, and didn't get it? Anybody besides me that happened to? Okay? Have you ever wanted something from the, from the very inner core of your being? And, you're, and, real, and I'm talking about sincerely now. Just cried out to God. Just cried out to God. For something that you believed, and, and no one could really dispute from you that that's a good thing. It's a godly thing. Ever, ever prayed to God for someone to be saved? I mean, just cried out to God. And you know what the Bible says, God's will that none should perish, but all should come to repent. You know that's a good thing to pray for. But you know your prayers don't make anybody be saved. Ever prayed for someone to be healed that you loved? And you believed that God could do it? Wasn't a doubt in your mind that God could do it? But God chose not to do it? Wow, if it could be this easy, then all we have to do is say something. Brother, uh, God, heal my brother. God, take care of my, my family that don't know you yet. I'm confessing this. And so, whatever I'm confessing must come into being because I spoke in this thing. You see how horrible this can turn out? You understand the devastated lives who have believed this garbage? And they've confessed things, they've spoken things, and they say, well, my preacher told me if I speak them and I believe them in faith that they're going to happen. And how many times do things not happen? Faith is not a formula to get God to do what we want Him to do, folks. He didn't give us a one, two, three, four formula, and if we just do it, everything will turn out the way we want them to turn out. Some of the greatest people of faith I've known didn't get an answer this side of heaven. But they kept their eyes on God. And through the struggles, they trusted Him. We've got to stop letting this carnality and this bad theology teach us what faith is all about. All right, let's go on to to step two. Not only do you say it, the step two is that you do it. So, your action defeats you or puts you over. According to your action, you receive or you are kept from receiving. So, you say it, 
And part of that saying is you confess it to be so, and then you begin to do whatever it is that, uh, you know, that you just said. You don't even wait upon God. Matter of fact, God is waiting upon you to trust what you've said and display that you believe what you said and you put your trust in what you've said by action. You do it. You say it, then you do it. It proves to God that you have biblical faith. From their perspective, it's not biblical faith at all. So, you say, well, I need $10,000. So, I'm going to speak $10,000 into my life tonight. Anybody want to do that with me? Okay. I'll speak $10,000 in my life. But I didn't get the $10,000 tonight. But I believe what I said. So tomorrow morning, I'm going to go out and spend that $10,000 that I spoke into my life because I believe what I said. You see, the, again, the devastation. You think this would go over good with the financial program? You know, the biblical financial program we're teaching people? Sure does. <laughs> well, John... You didn't hear what he said? It's our government. So, anyway. Hey, it works! Alright. So, you see, do you see the insanity of it? You speak it. By you speaking it, you declare that you believe it. Then, to show that you believe it, you go out and do it. Alright? The third thing in this step. Step number three is that you receive it. We are plugged into the... Here's the terminology. You're plugged into the powerhouse of heaven. I don't even have no idea, or any idea. Well, I'm, I'm losing it. I'm reading this stuff. I don't have any idea what in the world the powerhouse of heaven is. But you're plugged into the powerhouse of heaven. Faith is a plug, praise God. Just plug in. So, you say it, you do it, and you receive it. Okay? Even if you haven't received it. The point is not whether you've received it. The point is that you believe that you've received it even before you have it. Well, no, no. Well, I'm not even going to talk about that one, Carol. Something just ran through my mind. I just get in trouble if I said it. So, it's not even you know. It's not even the, the do it about going and developing your own money. The do it is believe that God is God is. God has responded to your, quote, faith-filled words, and he's going to give you that $10,000 you, you just said that, that you wanted. And so you act as if God has given it. Okay? The fourth step is that you need to tell it to others so that they will believe. The final step might be considered the Faith Movement's Outreach Program. So, you know, I spoke it, I did it, I received it, and look at me. So now follow me. It's kind of interesting when you look at the, a lot of the faith movements, the richest people in the faith churches are the ones standing behind the pulpits. The hundredfold, the hundredfold ministry works very good for them. I, I always wanted to do this. I still haven't done it. I'm getting old enough. Maybe I'll do stuff now. I don't know. I just want to send them a, a letter saying, you know, you really believe this hundredfold thing? Why don't you send me a million dollars and wait on God to send you a hundred million in return? Nothing's going to happen because I said, Brother, you do not have a faith seed, faith ministry that we can actually plant our seed in. There's an answer for everything. All right, let's go on. Kenneth Copeland states this. The faith formula, he puts it this way. 
All it takes is, this is all it takes, guys. All it takes is seeing or visualizing whatever you need. Always be careful when that word visualization comes up. That's a, that is a new age approach to things. Be very, very careful. A lot of Christians use that term. When they use it, please ask them to explain it for you. The term in and of itself is not evil, but Anytime a teacher uses the term visualization in this world today, you need to ask him, what do you mean by visualizing? What he means here is you see it as if it already is. That's not biblical. Okay? He said you are to visualize it, whatever you need, whether physical or financial, stake your claim on Scripture... In other words, he wants you to go in and become one of those people who pretext everything. You know what the difference between pretext and context is? Context is letting the Bible speak for itself in relation to what it actually said. Pretext is doing what a lot of people do. They'll run to the scripture, find one scripture that fits their need, and they will establish a truth, quote, a truth off that one scripture. The Mormons did it. When they talked about baptism for the dead, we talked about that. There's one verse in the Bible that even mentions baptism for the dead. It doesn't teach baptism for the dead. It just mentions it, and now you have a whole doctrine in the Mormon church on baptism for the dead. That's a pretext. It's not a context. Okay? Uh, some people will do it with women wearing hats in the church. I'll get in trouble here. Okay? Okay? They'll, they'll run to that verse and say, the verse teaches women how to wear hats. Well, no, the, that verse is not about women wearing hats at all. That, word, that verse is about proper order within the church and reverence. If I believe it was women wearing hats, then I'd be teaching, all you ladies need to have a hat here. But it's not hats anyways. It's complete head cover. All right, so he said, stake your claim on Scripture. Find a Scripture that you can claim. By the way, remember, using, it, using Scripture in this formula is using God's word back at him. I always have a problem with people say, we need to pray the scripture. And someone asks me sometimes, well, pastor, don't you think we ought to pray the scripture? And I guess it's kind of like the visualization thing. I need to know what they mean by pray the scripture. Because I've heard people pray the scripture something like this. Lord, your word says this. And so, Lord, we're holding you to your word. Your word said you would do this. And, and Father, we're demanding that you would do this because you, you promised that you would do this. We're holding you to your promise. You see the approach there? Different than, than, than praying the scripture where it says, Lord, your word says that if I humble myself before you and trust you. That's different ways of approach. So again, you have to ask people. When someone says, you need to pray the scripture, you need to ask them, what do you mean by praying the scripture? If you're praying it back at God, again, to make God do something because somehow you're going to use God's... It's incredible. Using God's own words against him to do something? Okay? So you're going to claim your scripture. And then the, then the, then the third thing is you need to... If, if you ever heard a metaphysical statement, here's one. Then you need to speak it into existence. Why? Well, words are containers of power. And God himself, we'll see in a moment, used, quote, faith-filled world, words to create that which is. And you too, just like God did, can speak faith-filled worlds, words and create your, create your own reality. It's incredible. Well, time runs by so quickly when I did. Uh, Paul Cho. Anybody heard of Paul Cho? Also, sometimes called David Cho. He's the leader of the of the of the, of the uh, 
uh, word faith, one of the largest one in the world in Korea. Okay? And here's what he says. He says, and, he, and by the way, it's borrowing from the cult, has developed what he called a law, or the law of incubation. Here's how it works. First, make a clear-cut goal. Then draw a mental picture. There's visualization again. Vivid and graphic to visualize success. Then incubate it into reality. And finally, speak it into existence through the creative words, creative power of the spoken word. Does that sound like biblical Christianity to you? This permeates the word faith movement. Over and over again. Why? Because words are the containers of power. And whatever you speak is what your reality becomes. Metaphysics, occult, witchcraft, whatever term you want to use is what it is. Not biblical Christianity. Well, let's go on to the, to the next thing. And this is the most incredible portion of when we talk about faith and faith. And now we move to this matter of faith or the faith of God. Now, notice what, how I term that. It's not faith in God. It's faith of God. Here's what they teach. God is a faith being. Everybody got that? God is a faith being. He is written, and I, I, I miss, you can change this. He is, what they would teach is he is regulated by the laws of faith. Regulated by the laws of the faith. And he is relegated to the laws of faith. In other words, even the laws of faith set above God. He's restricted to the laws of faith. He's dependent upon the laws of faith. Now again, this makes sense as you build this understanding. If God is required to do what you say, can't you see how they would teach that he, he is beneath even your words? Your words of faith require God to do what your words of faith said. But not only that, they would teach that God is a faith being. Some quotes. Kenneth Copeland. God cannot do anything for you apart or separate from faith. Faith is God's source of power. Do you realize how bad that is? Can I ask you this? Did God ever do anything for you in your life that you could even think about apart from faith on your part? Of course He has. Of course he has. God's poured out his grace on you and I before we had the ability to have faith toward him. Think about that. But what's incredible here is that he says, faith is God's source of power. Well, what do they mean by it? Well, we go back again to the beginning. Faith is a force, not only for man, but for God himself. Words are the containers of those force, and when you speak those words, be it man or God, you release that power into whatever you're speaking that word of faith into. So God, it makes sense if they believe what they taught us, it makes sense that they would also say that God, that God's source of power is faith. Because God must also speak words of faith in order for anything to happen. Because they don't see faith as what we understand biblical faith to be, they believe faith is, again, that substance, that, that, that very thing. Faith is a, a thing uh, that, that, that is a law 
And that is released when people speak. And not only when people speak, but when God speaks. We read on. Kenneth Copeland again says this. He said, God used words when he created the heaven and the earth. Each time God spoke, he released his faith. The creative power to bring his words to pass. Where do you see power according to them? Again, in faith, right? So when God spoke the words of creation, all he's saying that God did was God released his faith-filled words and the power that was in those faith-filled words created what is because God said it was so. So God used faith to create what's, what is. Do you, you understand that's not true? Everybody nod. That's not true. It is true that God spoke into existence that which is. But, but he was not required to release the power of faith-filled words in order for it to happen. All he had to do was speak it. God doesn't run somewhere else and say, I'm going to my little storage cabinet of faith over here. And I'm going to take off the shelf some faith-filled words, put them into my mind, speak them out of my mouth, and when I do, these containers of power will make things come into existence. God spoke and they were. Now, again, building on this thing, if you believe that He did it by faith-filled words, and you believe also that you are a little God in the same class that God is, and we heard some of that a couple of weeks ago, then you have the ability, since faith is a force, since faith is contained in words, and the power of faith is contained in words, you also, using the proper words, can do the exact same things God did. Because God's not, listen, God's not the source. The faith-filled words are the source. And if you can tie into the faith-filled words, you can do exactly what God did. You're not dependent upon God in this theology. You're dependent upon faith. And faith is not a means. Faith is, is the goal. When in biblical Christianity, the goal is God. Alright, let's look at one more quote here. It said, God used faith substance to make everything that he made. God put, God, this is incredible, some of the terminology. God's guts are called faith stuff. If you were to cut God open, you would see nothing but faith. Without faith, you have no stuff. Because faith stuff is the stuff of all stuff. Take away the faith stuff, and you ain't got no stuff. Get the faith stuff, and you can get some more stuff. Because you made because you got the main stuff. <laughs> and this guy really exists. His name is Creflo Dollar. Okay? Can you imagine? God's guts are faith. If you were to cut God open, what you'd see is faith. This is incredible. And there are literally, I would say now, billions of professing Christians who follow these, these, this theology today. And they think they're right with God. You see anything of God in this? And yet people are listening to these preachers and thinking if they follow them that they're right with God. Unfortunately, if, if someone doesn't share the gospel with these people, they will spend eternity in hell. Because they're not getting gospel here. They're getting garbage. 
They're getting idolatry. And nobody's ever saved by idolatry. Question. Yes. Question. Mm-hmm. Okay. First of all, explanation. When I came to the Lord, the people who led us to the Lord, my husband and I, the Lord, raised us on this. So I grew up the first two, three, four years of my faith, being taught this and much other, but this part mm-hmm. also. And one of the scriptures they refer to all the time is Matthew chapter 21, verses 18 through 22. And even my translation of the Bible titles that paragraph, Jesus says the disciples can pray for anything. And at verse 21, he says, I tell you the truth, if you have faith and don't doubt, you can do things like this and much more. You Mm -hmm. can say to this mountain, may you be lifted up and be thrown into the sea and it will happen. You can pray for anything, and if you have faith, you will receive it. Well, certainly as a new believer, when they teach me these things, and they show me that scripture, I go, well, duh, so far it has to work for me, but it must just be because I don't have enough faith. You don't have enough faith. Either you fail or God fails. But here, here comes the point again. Is that scripture true? It certainly is true. Of course, it's scripture. But it's true in relation to the biblical understanding and teaching of what faith is. That's why I started with their, their description of what faith is. If you warp the meaning of faith, then you warp the scripture. And every scripture that has that word faith in you warp. Again, to them, faith is, is contained in words and the power is released by the words you speak. So you should be able to say to the mountain, be removed and cast into the sea. Or you should be able to, to pray for anything that you want. And if you don't, then, then of course you're a failure. You're always a failure. Because you don't have enough faith. So what did Jesus mean by this? It mean, well, it, mean, it means that it means clearly that that oh, oh, got to define what faith is. Okay, faith is not you and I. Let me just make it very very quickly. I'll try to do it this very. I was going to do it at the end, but I'll do it very quickly. Faith is not you and I telling God what we want and believing hard enough that we'll get what we want. My definition of faith. Let me give it to you. One one phrase. Faith is our response to God's initiative. Now, I want you to think about it. You can apply that to faith across the board. It means this. That in biblical faith, God is always the first mover. Man is never the first mover. If man is the first mover, it is a carnal thing. And it is an attempt to manipulate God, although I wouldn't say always in a... In a I mean, we don't approach to say, God, I'm going to manipulate you. But if, but, if, but if what we want begins within us, it's not God-led, it's man-led. But if God speaks into our life and God tells us something and we put our trust in what God says, that's biblical faith. Applying that to that scripture, no matter what, however God leads you in in, in applying that to that scripture where God is working in your life and stuff, if that leadership comes from God, if you you put your faith and your trust in God who said he would do those things, whatever they may be, then God's going to bring those about. Does that make sense to you? Or did did I muddy the water? I don't want to muddy the water. I want you to understand... It, it, it really is as simple. Biblical faith always begins with God. If it begins with man, it cannot be biblical faith. So, so it's a way that we examine our own faith. Is this something with me? Go ahead. So if God tells you to pray to move the mountain, because he wants you to move the mountain, you'll be able to move the mountain. I believe so. Right. Yeah. Okay. If it's a God-led thing... It, can I ask you this? Is there anything in our Christian life that should not be God-led? No. That's faith. 
It's not faith. And by the way, what's the Bible say? Anything that's not of faith is what? Is a sin. So if it's not God-led, it's not faith. And therefore, it's contrary to God. But we've taught people that faith is just believing something hard enough. And we can, and, and our faith and our prayers can make it happen. Now, how is that any different than what these guys are teaching? It's not any different. In essence, it's not any different. But if we understand that God is sovereign, God is always the first mover, God is at work in our lives, and God wants to reveal in our life His will in every situation, faith is you and I responding as God shows that. And it could be, by the way, it could be that God would want you to go through the things Job went through. It could be that God has intended for you to suffer in this world. We certainly have Christian brothers and sisters who, who are persecuted every day for this. Does God love them any less than He loves us? If they just had enough faith, they wouldn't have to be in poverty and they wouldn't have to suffer and they wouldn't, you know, think about this, how bad this theology is. But we can be, we can fall in the same trap very easily when we put ourselves, that's why I say that it's not about us, it's about Jesus. If it starts with us, it's carnal. No matter what it is, if it starts with me, it's carnal. And it's not biblical faith. Therefore, it's a sin. All right, let's, let's move on. Thanks for the question. Let's, let's deal... Boy, it's 7 o'clock. It's, let's deal with the failure of faith. And I'll try to go through this very quickly. Tying all these things together that they said, to the word faith people, Job is considered a failure of faith because of his own words, which lacked faith, according to them, and brought him trouble. It's incredible the ignorance and the ignoring what God had to say about Job. But what they would tell you, remember what they've done. Words are containers of power. And though God may have released the power of His words about Job, Job counteracted God's powerful words with His own faith words, which were filled with unbelief. And He brought... They would tell you that Job brought his own troubles on his own head. Though when you read, I mean, with the honest eye, when you read the first two chapters of Job, there's no way that you can say that Job brought the trouble on his own head. Could you? Okay. So, think about the impact of it. If Job is a failure, and Job went through all he said because of his negative confession, then every one of you that's suffering with a sickness, it's your fault. Every Christian that does not have a huge bank account. It's your fault. If your family's falling apart, it's your fault. Someone dies in your family, it's your fault. I've had people tell me that no one has to die. Really? I've had people tell me that no one has to die. No. Well, that's a contrary to what the Scripture says. I mean, I mean, look at it. Hebrews chapter 9, I believe it's verse 25. What's it say? It is what? Appointed. For man to die once, and after that, judgment. But if you had enough faith, you don't even have to die. You have these people making claims like they've raised the dead? Really? You have people making claims like they prayed and people who didn't have limbs, automatically the limbs started sprouting and and growing? Really? Don't Don't you understand that if that actually happened, you couldn't hide it. But people are so stupid in the church 
that these guys get up and say, I'm the preacher, I said this happened, and everybody goes, okay, preacher, whatever you say. My goodness. It's not whatever the preacher says, it's what's true. By the way, preachers can be liars. I've met a couple of them. Well, and, and, and they really are the cruelest of people if you think about it. If, if I had the, quote, gift of healing where I had the power in my hands to heal people, I'd be in the hospital every day. I'd clear out the hospital. All right. Let me, let me do a couple quotes before we run out of t- we're out of time. But anyways. So here's what, here's what it said. It's quoted. For the thing... For the, for the thing which I greatly fear has come upon me, and that which I am afraid befalls me. That's out of Job chapter 3, verse 25. And they say that's Job's negative confession. I think Job is just speaking reality. Who would not fear the loss of your children? doesn't mean you're speaking it. Who, would not, who in here would not have their heart ripped out? Or you're losing every possession that you have. That's all, he's, that's all Job's saying. He's not making a known confession. He's just stating a, a fact. I've lost everything. I've lost my kids. I've lost everything that I own. I've lost my health. I'm a miserable human being. That's all Job is saying here. He's not making a, quote, negative confession. But this person goes on to say, goes on to say, um, fear is a terrible emotion, a self-fulfilling one. Job had fears concerning his children and finally reached a place in his life where he saw, saw his fears come to pass. The Bible says, it will be unto you as we believe. Now that's Matthew chapter 9, verse 29. The principle works in the negative as well as the positive. We can receive by fear as well as by faith. So Job is the greatest failure according to Joyce Meyer. Who is responsible for the condition Job found himself in? According to the Bible... What in Job? According to Joyce Meyer, Job spoke this negative thing into his life, and that's why his children died. That's why he lost everything he had, and that's why he was there with all the swords over his body. Boy, Job just was a man of faith. Wow. Let's go on. Benny Hinn. I'll close with my favorite guy. <laughs> says, you know what? We've said this a million times. Now, I want you to see how he warped Scripture for his own perverse theology. We've said this a million times, and it's not even scriptural. All because of Job. Well, what did Job say? And we, we know this. It says, the Lord gives, and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And here's what Benny Hinn says. I have news for you. That's not Bible. That's not Bible. Can you believe what the, the audacity of this man can you believe that there are tens of thousands that stand outside the Colosseums across this country to go hear this garbage put out by this man? He stands and he quotes scripture and then he says, that's not Bible. We read on. I have news for you. That's not Bible. That's not Bible. The Lord giveth and never taketh away. And just because he said, blessed be the name of the Lord, don't mean that he's right. When he said, blessed be the name, he was just being religious. And being religious don't mean you're right. Incredible. So, you know, I bring myself to places, I'd read this, prepare and think, okay, who am I going to believe? Brother Job or some heretic that's found his way into the church? I'm going to stick with Job. All right, let me close this down. 
Biblical faith, very quickly. Going over these four things. Just, just, and you have it there in your outline, so you have these to take home. Biblical faith is not contained in words that direct events. Everybody got that? Biblical faith is not contained in words that direct events, but is directed toward God. Put it this way. God is the source of our faith, or God is the one we direct our faith toward. I don't have faith in my faith. I have faith in God. There's nothing beyond God. Nothing beyond God. And again, I remind you, any faith that's in any other thing other than God is idolatry. So biblical faith is not contained in words that direct events, but is directed toward God. Secondly, biblical faith is not a formula. But it is responding to God in every situation. It goes back to what I shared with Mary a few moments ago. God is the first mover, and biblical faith is responding to God in every situation. Remember, God's not this magic genie who was required to fulfill every wish that you have. Sometimes biblical faith means nothing in my situation is going to change, but I trust God anyway. Well, you see, you're quoting Job again, and he's he's persona non grata. Okay? But you're right. That You're right. Biblical faith is not a law that regulates God, but a gift God gives to us in order for us to have a relationship with Him. And finally, biblical faith is not a promise of good of good things always happening to those who properly use it. But it enables us to trust God in every situation, be it good or bad. So I hope that I'm able to give some definition to biblical faith there in the last part of this. And I hope that you're able to see the corruption. And I, on purpose, I started where I started because it builds upon itself. If you buy the first premise, every other premise falls into line. Okay? The church is in dire straits today. There are more people that believe this in the, in the organized church today than believe in the simplicity and the wonder of the gospel. This is growing by leaps and bounds. Genuine Christianity is fading. One of the things that, and I'll close with this thought, one of the things that, that I, I so appreciate about the sharing your faith without fear tonight, one of the statements that he, he said was, the church is guilty of the sin of silence. Absolutely. And that's not only true in the gospel, in sharing the gospel, as God gives us direction to share the gospel. We've got to quit being quiet. We need to share what we know to be true. But it's also true when it comes to this. We've been silent for too long. And we let the heretics take over. To where they're seen as mainstream now. And biblical Christianity is actually seen as fringe. We're the strange group now. We're the ones that don't have faith. Because we have people who have sickness. We have the poor. We have people that actually die. They do too. They just hide them well. God has called us to be a people of biblical faith. And faith is the evidence of things hoped for, or the assurance of things hoped for, and the evidence of things not seen.
And without that kind of faith, it's impossible to please God. We've got to believe that He is. And He, not our faith-filled words, He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. Okay, I'm going to ask you to bow your head with me. Father, we thank you that you love us. And we thank you that you have not left us as orphans. You've left us the truth. Thank you for that. Father, forgive us for running after other sources of so-called truth. Be they books or teachings or, or, or personalities. Lord, bring us back home. Help us to understand you're not a giver of power. You are the power in our life. And you're not restricted to to such things as laws or forces of faith. Father, you're the one that we direct our faith toward. You're the end of all things. It's like the Bible tells us, you're the Alpha and you're the Omega. You're the beginning and you're the end. And you have blessed us with the gift of faith that we might respond to you. Father, let us speak up and not be silent when those people would come into church and corrupt the beautiful gift that you've given us so that we might know you, we might experience you, we might be your people. Thank you for the clarity of the teaching of your Holy Spirit and your precious word. As we go out from this place into the the world this week, let us not remain silent with the gospel. Let us not remain silent with the truth. Thank you for allowing us to be your children. In Jesus' name, amen.